you know, we teach our kids to be metacognitive and metareflective, but let's face it, there's a lot of odds against us as educators sometimes to do that um, in the in the in the world of education we live in, and tr building that in th that time for reflection with teams, with colleagues, throughout for in, for different you know different purposes is actually a piece of it. Without that, it is very hard to have that metacognitive ability to step back and see where you need to change and what needs to come next. Hi, everybody. This week on the ML Chat Podcast, we are joined by Lisa Oslander. She is the Senior Project Director for Bridges to Academic Success. Lisa leads the team in professional learning, in curriculum development, and in operations. She's a former teacher, a coach, and administrator who worked in New York City schools for over 15 years. Lisa is a fountain of knowledge in multilingual education. In this episode, she goes in depth about the journey that led her to Bridges and how they are fulfilling their mission to advocate for newly arrived immigrants uh, through best practices in curriculum, resources, and teacher training. I think you're going to love this. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Lisa Oslander. Lisa, tell us your story about how you started working with students with limited or interrupted formal education. Um. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Justin. So let's see. I was a middle school and a high school teacher in New York City. Um, so many of my students who came in were multilingual learners, immigrant students, um, and some of whom had limited and interrupted schooling. I taught inclusion classroom in an inclusion classroom. So I had a wide variety of students. Um, and, you know, I was a social studies teacher. I didn't have... Um, a language development background. I hadn't had training. And very quickly, I realized that I was not able to serve my students in some of their language development needs. A lot of students had trouble accessing um, the curriculum, even some native speakers, because I realized that language development can affect also all of our students in terms of accessibility. And so, you know, over the years, I had um, my students taught me a lot about, you know, how to support them. I learned a lot and I had to go outside the classroom and, you know, I had some wonderful ENL or ELD teachers teach me actually about what I needed to do. And I, you know, I did um, also take some coursework, but I really had, you know, it really was a big aha moment for me in my journey, um, especially when I helped start a new high school and, you know, I had a couple of students in my inclusion classroom really, really, who were both SIFE students, but had really, really different um, backgrounds in home language literacy. And I realized, you know, really how vast the needs are of our multilingual learners and our SIFE students as well. And um, so I, you know, I learned a lot. I continue to learn. And now I have a wonderful community of educators that I work with and I can, you know, I part, we partner with at um, our project. And I just... I love being on that learning journey and supporting other teachers um, the way I felt supported along the way. Um, so that that's how it all sort of began for me in my teaching career. I, I have to go back to those days, those early days. You're in the classroom. You're a social studies teacher, middle and high school. And some teachers aren't propelled to go seek that additional support, you know, from those ELD teachers, right? From those experts. But you were compelled. And then not only did you go down that route, you like you kept going down the rabbit hole. You wanted to get more and more and better and better and become, you know, the best resource for your students that you could become, right? And I guess I'm curious, like what propelled you to do that? What led you down that road? Um, I think honestly the relationship with the students, you know, and seeing my own limitations led me to do that and made me want to learn more and um, I think accessibility to curriculum is a huge issue in general because, um, you know, all of our learners come with different needs and an inclusion classroom that especially shows up, um, you know, when you're co-teaching and you have a large class and really trying to understand and differentiate for such a large group of students becomes a huge challenge. Um, and so I think to be to be a good teacher, you really have to um, delve into that. And so the students really motivated me and I and, you know, when I saw I wasn't reaching some students, I knew I had to change my own practice. And, and that's, that's a, that's a journey, you know, that's the whole career, in my opinion. Um, but I just had some wonderful colleagues along the way. And I think that also helped a lot, because 
um, you know, other people who really cared about their students, who really cared about the school, what we were trying to do. And um, so it's very motivating also when you have colleagues who care and want mm -hmm. and will help you. Um, so I'm grateful. And I, you know, I even write about, I don't name names, but I write about especially one teacher who helped me a lot. And I, in a way, like I feel in my work because I didn't have that background to start, like when teachers come who don't understand or don't have the background, I can be that resource and someone to say, well, I didn't either. I can demystify it a little bit and encourage people who want to learn or who feel comfortable because they don't know things um, that they can learn. And I can push them into that learning because I come from that particular space. Um, so that's been an advantage in a way. And I think just, you know, my path in terms of supporting others. Um, so it's nice to, to be able to do that as well. Well, and it's neat to see where that journey's taken you to with Bridges. Uh, tell us about Bridges. Can you walk us through its origin you know, as to where sure. it is today and how you support well, live students and multilingual students over time and how that's evolved? Sure. Yep. Um, wow. Okay. Well, Bridges has been around for over 10 years, maybe longer. Um, it's certainly in its funding from New York State Education the past 10 years. I've been on the project about eight years a wonderful team of uh, teachers, um, former teachers had founded the project and did, um, you know, coming out of the international schools, um, in addition to Dr. Elaine Klein, who was the PI at the time, and did some great work and developed a curriculum with New York State and before that with the DOE um, and materials to really help um, SLIFE students. They had seen in their own classroom some of the challenges to really reaching the students um, even in their own setting, and so really wanted to do more to provide teachers resources. And they got funding, and they started the project, and it slowly grew. And then they got um, they got the started the relationship with the New York State Education Department. And um, yeah, and I mean Tim and uh, we met through International Community High School, where Tim was a teacher, and that that school continues to be a partner of Bridges. Just a wonderful principal, a wonderful group of teachers and was a real lab site for that learning and understanding um, how to support um, so many different SIFE learners from different settings, backgrounds, multilingual, um, some speaking multiple languages, but struggling to access um, and, um, the curriculum at times, and, and also just learning to read and write in a language. They didn't necessarily have um, home language literacy in, in their home language that was um, very advanced, but come with so the students come. What I, what we've learned is the students come from so many wonderful backgrounds, um, speaking many languages, having um, so many resources, so many uh, life experiences that you can leverage in the classroom. And so ICHS was a place where they really learned how to do that. And so part of Bridges was working with schools like ICHS and teachers like you, Tim, at the time you were a teacher, and just really kind of trying to partner with schools to advance that learning. But Bridges started out really, I think the, the, the wonderful thing about Bridges is that um, what I love about Bridges and what I think we've really tried to continue to develop is creating partnership with schools because teachers have a lot of innovation and a wealth of knowledge and, and um, teachers who are lifelong learners are amazing people to be around and you can learn a lot from working in classrooms. So all the resources we create, we have now several curriculum. It started out with an ENL ELA curriculum um, so we have that, those two curricula, we have an HLA curriculum in Spanish. We just piloting a math curriculum this year. We have online courses, um, with strategies for multilingual learners in content area classes and co-teaching teams. So we really have broadened our, um, work, but a lot of that, that wouldn't happen without these partnerships with schools. And also everyone on the team has been in education as a teacher or administrator or I'm an educational researcher. And so people are really committed um, to this kind of partnership work. Um, so that's what I would say is at the heart of Bridges, this project. You know, we're part of the Graduate Center CUNY. We do a lot of research um, and evaluation, and we really work with educators to see what's working with our students. I mean, it sounds so organic, Lisa. <laughs> like the like the where the where like the the where it started, the how it started, the the why it started. You know, uh, that is you know actually you know, thinking about your own origins. You know, and you know from your your you know teacher upbringing, so to speak, right? And, and you're know, responding specifically to 
to student needs, right? And that was very much my experience, you know, at Bridges and and at ICHS. And I think that going into that experience, something that I didn't expect was how much like like variance, like how much heterogeneity they would be actually even within my students with with limited or interrupted formal education. And and we partnered with Bridges for a really specific, you know, group of students that we knew we weren't yet serving in, you know, you know, really the way that they they deserved in our mainstream classrooms. And so even within that that the Bridges setting, there was still a lot of diversity. And so that's something that really appeals to me about the way that Bridges is set up. And I'm just wondering if you could, you know, please like walk us through kind of the, the importance and sort of like the why behind um, the way in which Bridges like really emphasizes, you know, student learner profiles first, like in your professional learning, it seems to be like a real driving factor. Sure. Yeah. Um, That makes sense. I mean, I think, um, one of the things we rely on is our partner project at CUNY um, does a lot of work with home language assessment. So we believe in that very strongly as a starting place because our students aren't blank slates. They come in with wealth of knowledge, ex- life experience, challenges, um, uh, assets. And so there's a lot you can learn from sort of that intake process. So um, that's sort of the philosophy is that we start with the intake process to understand um, you know, where students are in their home language so that we can leverage what they do know and what they do bring to the classroom and then apply that in their learning of the second language and just content learning in general. Um, so that's a real beginning place for us. And and then to continuing across the year to leverage home language in the classroom because we all, that's how we, we learn language is, we, you know, we leverage what we know and apply it to second, third, other languages. Um, and then, Thinking about student profiles, you know, one of the kind of tools from the book is sort of, um, and that we use at Bridges as well, is creating student profiles in addition to sort of the more traditional assessments so that we can get to know our students and that teachers who work in teams or work collaboratively can really learn about the student from each other. Um, There's a lot of discovery you can make across the year. So we have a particular kind of intake profile that you can build. Um, about the student, from talking to the student. A lot of our curriculum sort of emphasizes in the beginning get to know, getting to know the students and their activities that facilitate that knowledge so that it becomes easier to um, work with the students by leveraging what their interests are, what they do know, and to, to make it more engaging and culturally responsive for the students who are in front of you. Um, so that's that's sort of one piece of how we um, think about the heterogeneity and and leverage that in our students and, and differentiate in the classroom. So it's really an assets-based approach, right? I mean, you're trying to take yes, that student exactly. and understand where they are. I, I um, There are a number of districts that don't necessarily, or a number of places, I guess, around the country where, you know, they don't necessarily take into account the strength of the student in their L1, right? In their first language or their heritage language. <clears throat> Maybe, you know, help us understand a little bit more what we're missing out on if we don't take that into account, you know, as we as we figure out how we're going to meet the needs of these students. Sure. I mean, you know, one of the things that we do and we have this kind of some standard activities that we do, and one of them is like sharing profiles of students that we know and we've had. We anonymize them, of course, to protect the students. But, you know. When you start to unpack a profile of a student, so for example, we have one student, his name's Muhammad, you know, one of us worked with him in the past. Um, He speaks Arabic. He has sixth grade home language literacy in in Arabic. Um, There's just so much that he already, he's, you know, he's, his family was um, educated, his father, um, and he would talk politics. They've lived through a lot of political unrest. He has experience of that. He likes to talk about politics. Like you learn a lot about Muhammad um, through these kind of informal um, questionnaires. And 
he as he started to learn English, he really liked to talk to his social studies teacher about politics in his home country, like learning about these things about our students. You know, he has a good strength in reading comprehension. He has some reading comprehension already in Arabic. So obviously he's going to come into a newcomer classroom and he won't have um, he's learning English. He's at he's in an entering level right on an English test. But he has so much um, knowledge, background. He has interests you can lever about his historical interests. Um, you know, he's lived through a lot of life experiences already. Um, you know, there's so much that we can learn about Muhammad that could help sort of make the classroom a more interesting place for him and a place he feels comfortable and um, that will be engaging for him. It's challenging when you have 30 students in front of you and you're trying to go on that journey um, with all of your students. That's one of the challenges of working in classrooms. Um, however, you know, if with the right tools, um, it can make it easier for teachers to kind of go on that journey with their students and to collaborate with one another. Um, and so to answer that question, it's just the more you know a student, I'm sure we've all experienced this, that when you have that aha moment where you really find out a student's interest, there's so much you can do then to make the next lesson more interesting or engaging for that student or engage in a one-on-one -on -one conversation or make a group assignment that will engage that student. So I think we're missing out because we assume our students don't have knowledge or interests other than what we see on the surface. And it's really exciting when you can start to discover that. I'm sure we've all experienced that um, at some point. We have, right? And it's, it makes me think, Lisa, about you know, the, the difference between culturally responsive practice that you're describing and that you really thoughtfully lay out on page 89 of school-wide system for <laughs> multilingual <laughs> okay, learner success. Uh-huh. Gotcha. And then, um, but, but additionally, it's, it's the step, like a series, many steps beyond kind of like our, our baseline sort of compliance obligations, right? That you know, say Title Three requires us really just to focus on, on what's not yet there. On, on you know, in, in Muhammad's case, right in in English instead exactly. of you know, yes. mm -hmm. and so it's again like going back to you know my experience learning you know as a learner in 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 Bridges is to really emphasize the assets our students bring to class, but you also offer really tangible scaffolds to teachers and in, in order, you know, to, to do that. Right. <laughs> and so tell us, you know, yes. can you share with us like a, a Bridges success story, you know, like maybe to, to shine a light on, on where this is going well on well, you know, where you see, you know, school teams coming together to really emphasize student assets and, and then, um, you know, learn more about their students and then, start start building from there yes definitely it has to be all concrete and tangible and also it has to be um, another way we differentiate is by the context of the school so you know a lot of the the schools we work with are there are many, so many different kinds some are small um sort of like ichs and other small schools in the city there's also but also very large comprehensive high schools and larger districts who have very different structures um yeah i mean we all have the compliance that everyone has compliance. They has to follow, they have to follow in the districts. Um, but you know, I, I can give you a couple success stories. I mean, sometimes I, we have one wonderful teacher who works with one, her, her interest in bridges came out of working in a really a place where there's very low instance uh, of safe number of students who are actually in the district, but she had one student um, who she didn't know how to support. So she reached out to us. She started out in an online course we offered to just think about strategies. And then she decided to try using our curriculum from that. And it's amazing what she was able to accomplish. It started with the one student. She started using our curriculum resources. We helped her unpack how to pull resources from the curriculum to support that student in her setting. Um, but what I think is so wonderful about what's come out of her work is not only her accomplishment and success with that student, which she did have, but also some of the strategies that she was able to unpack, um, scaffolds, proto instructional protocols we've used, the profile. Um, she just led a teacher transition meeting where she helped other teachers of multilingual learners more broadly, content area teachers who have less language development knowledge, 
um, change their thinking about what that particular student can do um, and what they were able to do by, by the end of the year. So she kind of stretched their understanding of what that student was able to do. And as a result, the teachers have a couple of ideas now of what they can do um, for some of their entering students or newcomer students um, who have come into the country in their classroom. So sometimes it can start really small like that and really then branch out. Um, and now she's a wonderful teacher leader in the district. I mean, she is anyway, right, and other things. Um, that's just one success story. And then I have, I have many success stories where, you know, students who have, um, or to school, we have another school, wonderful school, have undocumented immigrants. Um, so many students, hundreds of students coming into the district every year. They have a very high enrollment throughout the year, a lot of struggle with the, the changes in enrollment, a lot of older students who work. Um, but they have managed to create a wonderful Bridges program. We've trained them in the curriculum, and they also have other supports that they've created in the school to support their students, anything from a soccer program to after-school learning. So in addition to the Bridges curriculum and all the support they receive there um, in, in you know, their ENL, ELA, and now they're doing a math classroom and an HLA classroom, they're like a, kind of a lab site for Bridges. They've been doing wonderful things throughout the school um, to kind of create additional supports as part of their MTSS plan. Um, it's a lot of work. They work really hard, but they're amazing at what they do, and they're very thoughtful. So I have five other examples I won't give you now, but I that are very different in context that I I've seen. Um, I hope that gives a couple of examples. Though, it that does. Kind of give you an no, idea. it does very much. But I, I mean, when you kind of like pull out the the themes, it's you know, in, in each example, it's, you know, being, you know, responsive to the students that, <laughs> that are there and finding solutions for, for specific groups of students. And you also really made a very clear connection to, you know, a, a school's um, multi-tiered systems of support, you know, MTSS. And, and I'm wondering about the, the why behind your book, you know, like kind of, or like the, mm. the through line, the through line there of, of, you know, like your personal interest, perhaps of like that sort of responsiveness to, to, to students, you know, to MTSS systems. This book I is see. different. Yeah. Um, you know, this, <laughs> this, this, this book is, is different in the sense of like um, audience for sure. Um, yeah. uh, you know, it, somebody in my role, for instance, I ate this book up because, I think just because I felt like you were talking to me in some ways. And, and I, <laughs> I was just wondering, you know, walk us through a little bit of like the, the, you know, what drove you to approach the, this topic through a, a school systems lens? You're right. Okay. Yeah. Well, you are a part of this book, Tim, as well. Just to say you, um, oh, I, I show uh, up. You're a star in the book, cameo in the book, uh -huh. um, which is amazing to have, um, have you there? Um, Joanna and I have been having this conversation, I want to say for 15 years, maybe 10 or 15 mm. years. And so we, I've been wanting to write something like this for a long time, but it took all the experience and then this opportunity to do it. I think it comes out of both of our experience, both teaching, coaching, doing administrative work of different kinds, um, realizing that in order really to effectively serve our multilingual learners, um, it's not just about pedagogy alone. Pedagogy is a step, but there's so many parts to the process in a school of making, of helping our multilingual learners be successful and teachers be successful. And that, you know, we both have a systems thinking approach. And so, you know, we both try to create systems, whether it's in schools or whatever um, particular role we've been in, you know, that systems are key um, to making schools be more effective for our students and that one person alone can't do it. Just, you can do good things. You can always do good things on your own, but together and with different kinds of systems in place, you can do great things. And that realization and that, and then having the experience. And one example of the book, I mean, there are different levers that we showcase throughout the book. Um, we focus on leaders because leaders play an important role at all levels of the organization, whether that be like teacher leaders, school leaders, district leaders, there's, there are opportunities for leadership everywhere in a school. In a school. Um, you know, also from the family end, you know, parent engagement, counselors, people who are um, working with the families, 
a wonderful opportunities for systems there, and we showcase in the book. One example, or concretely as a teacher teams, as a as a unit, sort of uh, in the school, there, you know, we both had the personal experience of what you can do as a collaborative team, whether that be at the discipline level, at the high school, or a grade level. Just being able to work alongside other teachers who are working with the same students to create, um, you know, more more uh, aligned approach um, in how you how you teach. Um, how you how you facilitate the instruction, how you um, align the curricula, um, just had amazing experiences of how that can make a huge impact on our language learners in particular, and we really both wanted to, you know, find examples, and that's a lot of what we try to use in the book is just giving lived examples of what that can look like, both mm -hmm. through our experiences and other people's experiences in schools. Um, yeah. So yeah, does that make sense? It, it really, I mean, you're doing, you're living, you're living it, Tim. So like, to me, you're like a living example of, of doing that kind of work. And I know it's still recent years that you began, but it's amazing, you know, what a community can do. And that's something you talk about both in the book and from your experience about what a community of collaborative educators can do. I feel like you and your colleagues are an example of that. Um, of course, it's a work in progress. You know, that's the other thing constant. we talk about in the book, you know? It, it is, it is constant, but to also have, you know, in, in the book, a framework of, of mm -hmm. considerations. And there was one particular consideration that I felt in hindsight was really missing from, certainly from my own practice. And, um, and I, and I can't really recall like instances of it being like, a shared topic of conversation on on my you know among my my partners on my team and that was the attention to social and emotional learning and SEL comes up really uh, as a, as an important criteria in in your book and again I think this is like really clearly evolved over time in bridges and uh, can you can you point to you know, I, either, you know, like examples in, in your, in your experience or, or even in the, in the book where, you know, schools are, are taking a, like a school-wide approach to SEL, um, you know, specifically among, you know, newly arrived, you know, students with limited or interrupted formal education. Yes. Um, some examples of SEL, first of all, integrating the counselor. So one school has a enrollment team where they integrate the counselor um, into the intake process so that the, there's conversation with families or guardians about what Bridges is, the role it plays in their education. The counselor does intake and it's a part of sort of the understanding um, of building the family relationship. Um, that's one way socio-emotional learning can come into play is just have that's that collaboration with the counselor. Another example um, that I wrote about in a different in an article, it's just like an example of a case study of a school that has counselors. It's not always possible. Caseload of counselors is huge, still continues to be huge, but having counselors work with teachers um, to inform the way they set up their classrooms and um, integrate strategies that might support some of their siphon newcomer students. Um, other ways is integrating SEL into instruction. We rely, we use the castle competencies and thinking about um, how to integrate competencies like self-regulation and relationship building. Um, a lot of that shows up in Bridges in our curricular programs through the culture, developing and building classroom culture in individual classrooms. But it's not only the classroom and what you do, but also the things around it. Um, another example is peer mentoring, having someone in the, um, you know, in the classroom and also some students, older students or adults who can help um, our siphon newcomers get acclimated to the school, showing them around, giving them a resource, an adult they can talk to or check in with, um, someone they can speak in their language with. Um, so there's so many, so many ways that you can build out the culture across the school. These are just a few. Um, but for me, that is was something that was really missing. I feel, and I, you know, I feel like now there's more consciousness of it, and it's something we've tried to really build out intentionally and, and integrate into our resources. And um, another structural way, like through the MTSS process is like tracking that data. Like how is the student doing? What, how, what, what are the kind of supports they need across the year? 
are we having checkpoints um, to check in about that? So thinking about not only the academic needs, but what's going on socio-emotionally. And also, what is a student, there's some of our students come in with great socio-emotional strengths. And so leveraging that, you know, there's been like, you know, we have an example of a new to print student who struggled with her language and literacy, but made a great like collaborator because she just had a lot of maturity. Um, so she needed some support with the literacy, but she could create and support others in the way she kind of tackled the work and it, at the table, you know. So um, those are just a few examples of integrating SEL. Uh, Justin, what about like, you, Tim? I, 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 <laughs> Justin, I'm processing. Um, honestly, like I, I, I'm processing. You know, firstly, is that my recollection of you know of my collaborations felt, I guess, at first, like kind of mechanical as we were. Just, just like adjusting and and getting to to know, I think ourselves as young teachers, getting to know one another as mm -hmm. as a as, as new colleagues and and also like kind of myopically focused on on the notion of literacy and kind of forgetting that it's literacy and right it's uh, and and what else right and you know Lisa listening to you for instance highlight a partnership of counselors and teachers, you know, especially in thinking about the classroom environment, the, the environment around our students, both, you know, in the classroom and out, uh, that really resonated with me. And actually it kind of highlights an obvious area for, for, for growth, like in my own practices to, to kind of, to lean into kind of the, the tier one sort of, social emotional learning uh environment and instead of looking well, for like student by student fix you know mm -hmm. yes but one thing i'll say the reason why i turned it back to you tim is because i think about you and the way you work with your colleagues and i think it starts with the adult relationships that's one thing i know for sure in terms of socio-emotional learning is it starts with the adults um feeling comfortable working together modeling collaboration um, anything that we do as students, we want to do with each other as well. And I think you do that with your colleagues, at least what I've seen and what you've described. And that's like the beginning. You know, we can't practice the SEL unless we're kind of practicing it ourselves. It does, and it's not always smooth as things are in life with, uh, with those competencies. Certainly, certainly not linear. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I just love hearing about you know, this approach, this systematic approach, right? You know, because ultimately what you want to do is put as many things in place that you don't have to, that will happen without having to make the decision every time that it needs to happen. And I think about, you know, yes. as an early teacher, you're, you're doing your best, but every decision, you're having to make every decision every single time. And it's exhausting. Tim, I remember you telling us about some of your early years when you're teaching, you're thinking so hard about every little, every student, every little thing that you can do. And so I love this idea of having a system framework, you know, for a building or for a teacher to be able to take and go implement, right? Uh, it's almost, it's the same reason why, you know, pilots use checklists. So it's not a decision they yes. have to make. Am I going to do this today? No, it's on the checklist. You do it anyways. You don't have to yes. use any of your, own, you know, that emotional um, strength that you have or, meant, you know, your capacity. And, and, and you can just focus on actually executing it rather than whether or not you should do it. And I'm, it's interesting. It's, it's making me wonder a little bit. Um, why any of us don't use systems. And the only time I feel like we don't use systems is because we get lazy and we don't implement it necessarily. But there's got to be a lot of other reasons as well. And part of it might be someone's trying to be more creative and they're trying to be... Anyways, I'd love your thoughts as to when you step into a, a, you know, a new client or customer or district that you're going to go work with or a new school mm -hmm. and maybe they don't have the systems in place what has led to that moment, right? Like what is what has prevented them from having systems and and what does that transition look like as as you start helping them, you know, be more systematic? Right. That's a great question, Justin. And if I had the full answer to that, uh, I think I'll, <laughs> I'd be able You'd to write another book. <laughs> I know, maybe I will at some point. I don't know. That would 
that that's a great question. That's a, it's the cha- it's the challenge. The thing that I love the most, though, I would say, um, I think. First of all, I think there's this misconception that systems like auto, like you put systems in place and then they're done. And that it's like a fixed thing, which is completely the opposite of my experience and the completely the opposite of what Joanne and I, I think we're trying to communicate in the book. And that the other myth I think that you have to bust with this kind of work is like, you're going to get good in all, like we, we, we put out five levers, which are by no means the only levers. Yeah you know, to think about or systems, you know, we put out a, 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 some examples of systems that we think are key. There are others that you would use. Um, you're never going to be good at all the systems at once. I think there's a myth also there like, oh, well, we're going to be good at all of these things. But the reality is, is schools and districts and schools in particular are just living things that change over time. Um, people come and go. Leadership often, there are times where leadership comes and goes. And so there's, there's a lot of change that can happen. And I think the key is um, developing that distributed leadership model and kind of um, being willing to have part of building systems is building the flexibility by having the times where you can check in and do some kind of reflection on where things are. You know, we teach our kids to be metacognitive and meta-reflective, but let's face it, there's a lot of odds against us as educators sometimes to do that um, in 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 the world of education we live in. And building that in that time for reflection with teams with colleagues throughout for in for different you know different purposes is actually a piece of it without that it is very hard to have that metacognitive ability to step back and see where you need to change and what needs to come next and so a lot of it in the beginning is me in terms of working with districts or clients or whatever schools is kind of getting an understanding of where they are now um, what is their problem of practice? What are the challenges? What are they doing well? Leveraging, just like we do with our students, you know, we have to leverage and think about and focus on what we do well first, and then you build from that. And then maybe your goal is set upon one area that you're trying to improve um, that can really support your students and, and get to the next level. So, I mean, one of the things I think with these kind of systems thinking, in my experience, looking at systems thinking over the years is like, oh, well, we're just going to do this. But the reality is it's a it's a journey, a lifelong journey of like, if you're working in leadership of whatever, you know, I've been a teacher leader, I've been in all kinds of leadership roles. And I've, um, I think that's a real part of the learning in and of itself. Because um, I think it's such a good question that you're asking. And by the way, I really love that book, Checklist Manifesto. <laughs> it reminds me of like, you, you must know that book. That's like a, a book we used to read and look at to, in my team, like way before Bridges even that I that really informed my thinking about like, how do you create these systems? Um, what does it look like? You know? Well, I think there's this, there's, there's this idea that, Hey, let's set a goal and we're going to go reach our goal. And I love that thinking. Obviously I'm very goal oriented myself. However, I think a lot of times we, we, we might rise to our goals, but we also fall to the level of our habits or of our systems. Right? And so, yeah. That's wow. a way to think about it is what systems do you have that's in place? Do you have systems in place that will propel you <laughs> forward or that, you know, hey, well, I'm going to, anyways, it, it's an interesting thought. I, I, I will need to think a little well, more about that. I think you, but I think you highlight something really crucial there, Justin. And, and, and you know, Lisa, you call out three characteristics of, of strong you know, systems in, in schools, resilience, self-organization, and interconnectedness. And, you know, thinking about those themes, you know, throughout our conversation, it really relies on, on collaboration, on our, you know, collective work together and finding those areas of overlap. And to Justin's point about kind of like, rising to to those goals on page 121 of your book you um you call out the role of school leaders in in setting those conditions and and that's kind of the justin what i was where i you know leapt to and my is in response to to your thinking is 
the role of a leader in creating that space, the role of a leader in setting the conditions for that sort of collaboration. And specifically, you call out the systems criteria for team learning. Secondly, school-wide uh, integrative practices for SEL and academic instruction. And finally, culturally and linguistically responsive data practices to learn about students and improve the system by exposing inequity. Exposing it, and that's so exciting. That is, that is very, very <laughs> exciting language uh, and certainly exciting in practice. And I'd just love to hear your thoughts on that, Lisa, like, like those, those three criteria. Well, that's a long conversation, of, um, but I want to say about equity, I think sometimes where systems fall short in schools, it's a trend that you kind of looping back to what Justin was talking about right when we began um, our conversation is like the blind spots around language learning, language development, and the way that it's sort of not always integrated in any way in a school-wide approach or in a team approach. And so the burden becomes often on our ENL teachers who... Um, are forced to sort of take that on um, alone in many cases and then to be the sole advocate in some situations where they are trying to help others understand that situation. And so putting, putting something like language learning front and center is part of a system approach, meaning, for example, um, one of the things Joanna and I focus on in the book is sort of how teams can look at language as a part of their analysis of student work. Um, language development, how the students are doing in language, like have that as part of the student work analysis. And we give examples and templates of how schools have done that um, can be like a shift because may, many teachers may not have examined language in that way as a part of student work um, or as a part of their thinking or using a rubric that may take language learning into account integrated with the content. Um, and it shifts the thinking and puts it front and center um, in how we view our students and how we view their learning. And so if we don't have those kind of tools um, and structures, then the equity that you were just, you know, we're talking about, it, 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 it's, it's not going to be there. And so building equity is sort of trying things that have been put in the margin, putting them at the center. And that's just one example, a small example, but it can be very powerful to look through a different lens at our student work and have a discussion about language development um, as, as part of the literacy um, and also to redefine what we mean by literacy in many cases can be so impactful um, in team learning. Um, does that make so that that's just one really I think it's a small but powerful example, you know, of like how we build equity in systems. I think yeah. we all want to go like three different ways on this. Like, unpack <laughs> this. We're like, oh, my gosh, Lisa, this is so good. Um, OK, so I want to I want to. So we've heard the term ENL a couple of times. Do you mind defining yes. that? I think some folks, uh, some of it's our different. Listeners... Yes, it's thank you. I'm sorry to use the it's very New York specific language. English is a new language. Some states still um, say English language development, ELD. Some ha still have the um, ESL terminology, English as a second language. Um, so that's what I mean when I when I use that term, um, ENL teacher language language yeah language development. And is that English as a new language? English is a new language. Sorry. Yes. English is a new language. Perfect. And then, and then you said, and Tim, I know you want to go into this, but I'd want to ask this question. Okay. You mentioned how we define literacy, Lisa. How, how should we define literacy? Yeah. I mean, I, I would love to also hear what you have to say, Tim, but I guess, do you want me to start? I could just say like, I think sometimes we have narrow definitions of what we mean by literacy. You know, can the student read, write, listen, speak? Um, but I guess I think of broadening our understanding of literacy to also include a social um, component and, and thinking about what our students know and what they um, their experience, their life experiences can be a part of the literacy development. Um, because I think without that, sometimes you're teaching literacy in a vacuum and not sort of recognizing or starting with the student. Um, and you're also not including home language literacy necessarily, you know, sort of often we presume that literacy means just the language of instruction when many of our students are coming in with home language that have um, so much meaning and, um, you know, I, you know and, and sort of cultural relevance. Um, one example 
Um, I mean, I can give multiple examples. I just wonder if this resonates with you, Tim, because you're working in schools and um, you work every day with teachers and students and just wondering if, if that resonates with you, just like thinking about like sort of rethinking liter the idea of literacy. Yeah, I mean, what I heard you share is is really starting from our students' background knowledge, really starting with their their lived experience and their their linguistic, their cultural, their social funds of knowledge, and and bringing it into class. But I, I think the only thing I would you know add to the to the literacy conversation is is really around how literacy is dynamic across contexts. Um, yes, but you know, fundamentally, good. it's it's about you know the 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 ways in which our students feel like they can communicate what and and show what they know it can do, and yeah. you know, depending on the context, that's all variable. You know, it's even variable based on their lived experience prior to, and so it's you know from a from a teacher's perspective, it really comes down to you know, creating the space for our, you know, to, for our students to, to show and, and build connections to, you know, from outside of the classroom into the classroom. So that's what came up for me in the, you know, in the, in the literacy yes. conversation. But circling back to what you shared before about kind of like the emotional labor of what mm -hmm. happens when, when we don't partner. You know, and it's that sort of bifurcated view of the ENL teacher will look after the, you know, the the, the multilingual yes. students and the classroom and, you know, the classroom teacher will focus on the content. And that's just so artificial. I've actually heard um, Kenji Hokuta describe that as the, the Cyclops conundrum or the Cyclops dilemma. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that, yes. you know, without a language lens, our, we're not able to really like attend to to depth of thinking and it's you know it's shallow and you know this shift that you're describing really does come down to collective work collective efficacy and i i feel like again you know to any colleague that wants to look at specific examples of school practices that pull teams of of colleagues together for the benefit of multilingual students, they have to pick up your book. <laughs> and it's not just focused on, what I love about it is that it, it's not just focused on like classroom practice, but also around like the conditions around our student. And that for me was a big learning from, from your book, Lisa. Thank you, Tim. I really appreciate that. And it was such a pleasure. Um, to talk with both with you, you know, we have some case studies and, and some scenarios where we have leaders tell about their own experience and very, from very different vantage points in their career and different roles. And I hope that um, that helps others. I think it will. I think it has. I think people like to hear about the journeys of others because it's um, you learn, you learn from others leadership experiences. Um, I know I have. Um, so that's one of the things that I hope the book can can accomplish and can support others in their own leadership journeys in supporting our multilingual learners um, in a more systemic way, systematic way. Oh, Lisa, I love that. This has been this has been amazing. Uh, this is so much fun. Will you tell us? Are you coming out to Nabe? Are you going to be at Nabe this year? I am going to be at Nabe. I actually am presenting um, only a recorded session this year at Nabe with my colleague, Wanda Tejada. Um, she and I are doing a recorded presentation. Um, however, so you can definitely catch that if you're at NABE or you know online, the NABE conference. Um, and we present a lot about our work at Bridges and some of our success stories in our schools and what our schools are doing and a lot of the data that comes out of that from our evaluation work. Um, I'm also presenting on the book at NELPA um, which is a wonderful conference for educational administrators. It's the day before the NABE conference, and we'll, I'll be doing a presentation um, on behalf of Joanna and myself on the book, and I'm excited to work with colleagues there, but I'll be there all week <laughs> at NABE, so I hope to connect with people there. If, um, people bring, yeah. if they bring your book, will you sign it? <laughs> That's so 
so funny. Yes, that would be great. That'd be so better. Fun. Look at it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, want, I, I, really I want my hope... signed. <laughs> That's funny. That would be great. Uh, yeah, I hope I hope the book can be useful to people. I really do. I would love to hear how people use it. Um, that's one of the things I'd like to see if uh, people can. Tell us where people can can find your book, and you know, maybe tell our listeners also where they can find you online if they want to follow you, Lisa. Definitely. So you, this is an Ion Education book from Rutledge, so you can find it on their website or on Amazon.com. And you can also visit us at bridges-scifeproject.com. We have a lot of free resources available to educators. And um, you can reach out to us at info at bridges-scifeproject.com if you want to get connected. We would love to talk to you. So th and thank you for having me. This has been a wonderful You're the best. Yeah, I thanks love, so much I for doing this, this Lisa. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking of course. about all of the areas of my life where I need to put better systems in place right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I need no, checkpoints. Uh, uh, checklist, excuse me. Oh, man. I'm well, ready to go. I got work to do. One last thing I'll just say, like, informally with us, like, you know, that quote in the book, which is from James Clear you do not rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. I totally feel, you know, he has a website. Yeah. And I totally subscribe to that. And I find all kinds of things because I feel the same way. It happens in your life, too. Like, you're just everyday life, right? It's so funny. Yeah. Like, if you put something in place. So I, I totally get it, Justin. Still working on it. It's always a, in progress. But I love that we had this conversation for schools, for the classroom, you know, for these districts, because I think that, you know, sometimes we're not thinking in systems, right? And we're kind yeah. of, we end up being a little bit reactive. And I think anything we can do to, you know, to put those checklists, put the systems in place that allow us to, you know, meet the needs of our students, in the best way possible, right? Like really accounting for their background and their experiences and all of that. So anyways, I think we could probably go on and on, but what a pleasure. I love just having the conversation with you guys. To me, I get excited, you know, first it starts out and we're, you know, but I just always feel like you guys are great at just pulling a conversation together and it feels so natural and it's fun. So I really enjoyed it. Uh, thanks, thanks, Lisa, that's lovely. Geek. I'm a little bit geeky. Yeah. We'll see you at Nave. Yeah, see you at Nave. <laughs> see you at Nave. Okay, awesome. All right, take care. The ML Chat Podcast is brought to you by Flashlight Learning. Flashlight Learning has helped deliver personalized feedback and progress monitoring to over 75,000 multilingual students nationwide. Flashlight 360 provides students with a platform to showcase their speaking and writing skills, helping teachers gain a better understanding of their students' individualized needs and inform instruction. Teachers are talking about the increased confidence and language proficiency growth they're seeing in their students. A recent study from Johns Hopkins School of Education demonstrates that Flashlight 360 had a significant positive impact on WIDA Access overall composite scores. To learn more, visit flashlight360.com study.